It is Sunday, April 23rd, 2023. I want to welcome all of you to our Sheepgate Fellowship Sunday service. It's a pleasure to be with all of you once again. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, as we gather together as the saints and as God's people and as his church, uh, we come to remember and worship Lord Jesus Christ. He is dying on the cross on behalf of our sins and um, the Lord God Almighty. So with that said, Allow us to remind ourselves of the confession of our faith. Let's rise from our seats and recite together the Apostles' Creed. should be on the screen for those of you who would need it. Apostles' Creed reads, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. As the Lord invites us this day to worship him, and to lift songs and prayers, and to read from his word, as we come into his presence, into his holiness, allow us to be called to worship by his word. I'm going to read from Psalm 67, and if it helps, you can close your eyes and meditate on the words of the psalmist uh, as I read them to you. Psalm 67 reads, God, be gracious to us and bless us, and cause his face to shine upon us. Your way may be known on the earth, your salvation among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God, let all the peoples praise you nations be glad and sing for joy for you will judge the peoples with uprightness and guide the nations on the earth let the peoples praise you O god let all the peoples praise you the earth has yielded its produce god our god blesses us god blesses us that all the ends of the earth may fear him amen let's take a moment to silently pray in our own hearts at this time as we come to worship our heavenly father I'd like to read to you from 1 John 1, 9 to remind you of the importance of confession of sin. It reads, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And with that said, let's take a moment to pray in our hearts, a prayer of repentance as we come before a holy God. So we, of course, are unholy and each and every moment of our lives we commit sin daily to our God. And uh, so as we transgress before him, let us be reminded of those transgressions, but not live in condemnation, but we re be reminded that through Jesus Christ, our mediator, that as we confess our sins, that through him and our faith in him, that we are cleansed of all unrighteousness. Let's pray in our hearts, and then we'll, be, and then we'll commence.
pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Jeremiah 33, verse 8, I will cleanse them from all their iniquity by which they have sinned against me, and I will pardon all their iniquities by which they have sinned against me, and by which they have transgressed against me. How glorious it is to know the gospel of Jesus Christ, to know that although we are transgressors and ones who continue to transgress against God and sin against him, that he will cleanse us from all our iniquity uh, because we're deserving, uh, because we're worthy, uh, because we've earned that kind of grace or mercy from God, but simply because God chooses to do so for the unrighteous and for the elect. And so as we remember this and uh, we're reminded of just how privileged we are uh, by the grace of God. Let us be, uh, let us have this assurance, assurance of pardon from our sin because of Christ and our faith in him. Brothers and sisters, I'd like to draw your attention to the screen as we read question 104. Those of you who've been keenly listening, you know that there are 107 questions in the Westminster Shorter Catechism. And guess what? We're on question 104, which means we have just a little under, um, a month left of our shorter catechism, then we'll move on to another catechism. But uh, let's read 104 today. And again, we're in the Lord's Prayer, as, uh, as you should remember. Uh, the question reads, what do we pray for in the fourth petition of the Lord's Prayer? And the answer reads, in the fourth peti petition, which is, give us this day our daily bread, we pray that of God's free gift, we may receive a competent portion of the good things of this life and enjoy his blessing with them. Let me read that to you one more time. That of God's free gift, when we pray, give us this day our daily bread, that we are praying that of God's free gift, of his choice and his will and his desire, that we may receive, not will receive, but may receive a competent portion of the good things of this life and enjoy his blessing with them. And of course, those things could be of many, many different variables. Um, there are so many aspects, spheres, and different components of our life in which God blesses us with the good things of this life. Uh, the first commandment, or the first thing we see in scripture is the command to not eat of the fruit of the tree, knowledge of good and evil. Of course we do, and the punishment was surely death, and yet that is not what we received, and rather we received a competent portion of the good things of this life. And so we're reminded of this truth today, right? That we are able to enjoy even the in small portions or in large uh, elements and competent portions of the good things of this life. And so when we pray this prayer, we are simply praying for this particular petition from our hearts. Um, so again, it's a prayer of trusting God, right? It's an important thing to remember this day. With that said, allow me to pray, and then our praise team will lead us in a time of song. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for leading, guiding, and gathering us here today. So much of our lives, uh, we live, Lord, in ignorance of you. We live much of it, uh, time spent on things uh, very much self-driven and self-orchestrated, uh, self-centered. We think of things very much from the lens of our own selves, and uh, we tend to quite distant from being able to think of you in all things in life. So God, this day as we gather together as the body of Christ, we're reminded of the truth that we know and believe, but have difficulty living out. And that is, of course, that we are people of God, that we are men and women, sons and daughters adopted by you, 
that through that adoption we're able to enjoy this incredible blessing that it is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Lord, what unites us is uh, not so much the superficial elements of, um, I guess, what we would define as elements of our identity. Uh, but the true thing that unites us is, of course, the blood of Christ and our faith in Him. Lord Jesus, would you um, just remind us of this this day and constantly remind us, for we need that reminder so. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the brother and sister next to us. Times, um, the relationships we share in with one another can be sources of pain, can be sources of suffering, at times sources of joy and exuberance and excitement. Uh, but through the thick and thin and through the rough and through um, the pleasures of the relationships we enjoy, may we be reminded that we are family, that ultimately loving Christ and love for one another is what unites us and allows us to function as a family. Help us, O Lord, to be reminded of this this day. We also pray that as we go into your word, that through the Holy Spirit, we will be taught incredible truths from your text and from your holy word. We pray that these things would not simply be our daily dose or our weekly dose of biblical truth, but rather uh, a much-needed supplement in our lives, a much-needed nutrition in our lives that allows us to grow spiritually and become more like Christ. Our Father, our desire is to be holy. I know at times it may not seem that way externally, and many times there is a struggle internally within us as the flesh and spirit battle it out. But Lord, would you help us? For we are weak, and we need you so. Help us through your spirit to constantly fight sin in our lives and live a life more more holy and more and more like Jesus. We thank you and we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's rise from our seats and sing songs to our God. Just a certain day, bring from us. 
to see all of you once again on this wonderful Lord's Day. Let's turn to our Bibles to Mark chapter 5 as we continue our sermon series in the Gospel of Mark. Last week we looked at, of course, um, the first part or the first half of chapter 5, and we looked at the narrative of the Gerasene demoniac. Today we'll be looking at some miraculous healings by Jesus, which I'm sure will be familiar to many of you, in verses 21 to 43. So that's Mark 5, verses 21 to 43. So if you have a Bible, which you should, please turn to it. And you can follow um, as I read from my Bible in yours. Once again, Mark 5, verses 21 to 43. This is the word of God. When Jesus had crossed over again in the boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him, and so he stayed by the seashore. One of the synagogue officials named Jairus came up, and, uh, and on seeing him, fell at his feet. He implored him earnestly, saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Please come and lay your hands on her so that she will get well and live. It went off with him, and a large crowd was following him and pressing in on him. A woman who had had a hemorrhage for 12 years and had endured much at the hands of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was not helped at all, but rather had grown worse. After hearing about Jesus, she came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak. For she thought, if I just touch his garments, I will get well. Immediately the flow of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. Immediately Jesus was perceiving in himself the power proceeding from him had gone forth, turned around in the crowd, and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing in on you, 
And you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see the woman who had done this. But the woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. While he was still speaking, they came from the house of the synagogue official, saying, your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher anymore? But Jesus, overhearing what, is being, what was being spoken, said to the synagogue official, do not be afraid any longer, only believe. And he allowed no one to accompany him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. He came to the house of the synagogue official and he saw a commotion and people loudly weeping and wailing and entering in. He said to them, why make a commotion and weep? The child does not die, but is asleep. They began laughing at him. But putting them all out, he took along the child's father and mother and his own companions and entered the room where the child, where the child was. Taking the child by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which translated means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl got up and began to walk, for she was 12 years old. Immediately they were completely astounded. And he gave them strict orders that no one should know about this. And he said that something should be given her to eat. Amen. This is the word of God. I hope that thus far in the Gospel of Mark, that the teachings of this Gospel writings in regards to Jesus and his earthly ministry, his life and ministry, have been a blessing to you as we continue to read uh, in this section of Mark's gospel in the text. I hope that it will continue to be a source of teaching and blessing to all of you. Our sermon is entitled, Your Faith Has Made You Well, the words of Christ directly from the text itself. Now when we read today's text, what should immediately stand out as an obvious feature of the text for those that have been carefully listening to what I've shared about Mark thus far is the structure of the text. I wonder if you caught that. What we have here today is yet another example of the famous Mark and Sandwich structure, or what we call the ABA format of text. Sandwiched between the beginning and ending of the story of Jairus' daughter is the healing of a woman with a hemorrhage. Now at first glance, the only similarity that might appear obvious between these two narratives is the fact that both Jairus' daughter and the woman are healed by Jesus. But closer inspection will reveal to you that there are a lot more parallels to these stories than one might think, one might think at first glance. In fact, narratives themselves tie so closely together in so many details, perhaps explaining God's providential will in ordaining these events to occur simultaneously, and furthermore, revealing these, those parallels to Mark, who had the brilliant inspiration of the Spirit, to tell these stories in unison in this structure to bring out those divine hallmarks, or what we call divine fingerprints over the story. So what are those parallels? Well, in both healing narratives, we have a woman at the center of each story. Both women are in need of physical healing, or else death was certain. Both women were ceremonially, or what we would call uh, by Jewish law, religiously unclean, and yet, it was contact, touch with Jesus that was sought as a source for resolution and healing. In both stories, Jesus is met with rebuke, either from the disciples or the mourners. And in both stories, we have a simple number that connects the two women. The girl is 12 years old, as old as the condition of the women who could not stop bleeding. 12 years. The aspect of ceremonial uncleanliness should draw your attention and minds right back to what we read last week in our previous narrative of Legion and the Gerasene demoniac. There, the story focused so heavily on what? The uncleanliness of that particular narrative, every feature of it, 
And, but it also highlights Jesus' willingness, despite the uncleanliness, to deal with such things. And here again, these stories deal with a dead corpse, unclean, and a woman with a condition that would have required her to isolate herself from the community and prevented her from entering the Jewish temple, unclean. I'm sure you can connect the dots to see the spiritual realities that are in play in today's passage. With that said, allow me to take a, or let's take a look at these two healing narratives. So I have two points to today's sermon. The first, a touch of faith. We're going to look at the story of the woman who could not stop bleeding, 25 to 34. And then we'll look, we'll look at the, um, the, larger, the larger story, if you will. Um, and that is, the point is, do not be afraid any longer, only believe. And we'll look at the story of Jairus' daughter. So let's look at the first one, a touch of faith. So we're looking at verses 25 to 34 here, which is at the middle of the sandwich, if you will. Our passage begins today with Jairus approaching Jesus and imploring him to heal his daughter who is on the brink of death. Although Jesus is clearly busy and swarmed by many, what strikes us is his compassion and willingness to heed Jairus' request, and so the journey begins to Jairus' home. However, in verse 25, this journey is interrupted by another person in need of Jesus' power, and it is a woman. Interestingly, neither the daughter of Jairus nor this woman with a hemorrhage are named for us in the text. Only Jairus is named in Mark's telling. Now, before you jump to the thought of misogyny or patriarchy, remember that Mark's main witness for his gospel was the apostle Peter. And it is likely the names of these women were not known to Peter, whereas Jairus was a prominent known figure being tied to the synagogue in that society. Now, regardless, the point is this, that one episode is interrupted by the other. And so we are introduced to this woman who has been bleeding for 12 years. A hemorrhage, if you're not familiar with what that is, is a loss of blood that is typically caused from a cut or damaged blood vessel. Consider again that this woman has had this constant bleeding for 12 years years, 12 years. That's as old as Jairus' daughter. We're told that she had exhausted every means to cure her condition, from meeting physicians to spending all the money she had, but it yielded no result. And what's worse is that her condition did not improve, it only got worse. Her health was depreciating, not getting any better at all. This is not so much a condition of having no other option other than Jesus, and so you turn to him, but Mark's point is this, that rather that Jesus is, is the only solution to her problem, because no other method was viable, nor did they work. The physical condition we are dealing with is a bleeding condition that is leading to eventual and certain death for this woman. The spiritual condition at play is that of one who is losing hope, for nothing else could give her hope. So with death as the expected outcome, the message here is this, to look to the divine, and that is exactly what this woman does. Scholars have noted in this text, after careful inspection, and in the English it's kind of lost, uh, truth be told, uh, but that this particular hemorrhage was what, what they call a gynecologic hemorrhage. This is deduced from the shame of the woman, the common usage of this term in reference um, to such women who had menstrual issues. This woman's condition would have deemed her ceremonially unclean to enter the Jewish temple, meaning she could not worship nor give offer sacrifices to God. Her bleeding would need to stop for at least by law seven days in order for her to be reinstated. Furthermore, anyone who came into physical contact with such a person would also be deemed unclean 
and would require purification, an entire process outlined to us in the Old Testament, after a day of banishment from the community. So you would have to exit the community and be isolated for a day, return, be purified, and then you could be reinstated. You can get a sense of this woman's desperation, if you will, to not, not only have her physical condition healed uh, for, for her physical sake, but for her social and spiritual status as well. Right? So not just physical well-being, but I'm sure that was um, a huge aspect of her thought process. But also tied to that was her social and spiritual status in her community. Now the contrast should be apparent to you. We just saw the disciples, what? Fearing, at the end of chapter 4, their lives over a storm that came upon their boat, and they lacked faith. We saw the Gerasenes kicking Jesus out of their midst due to the fear that they had of him. And here, here we find a woman who had no other option doing the opposite. Not fearing, but having faith. Not in fear of death reaching out to Jesus, but in hope and faith reaching out to him, touching his cloak and his garment. The human state likely, in her mind, I'm sure, had a mixture of, here's my last chance, or a hint of superstition, or perhaps even just the thought of giving it a shot. Yes, that probably was in the mind of this woman, for she is human too. But look at Jesus' words in verse 34 as he commends her. He says that her faith has made her well. The outstanding feature and motivator of her touching his cloak was her faith. You know, we spend so much time judging the orthodoxy of one another's faith and theology. This woman's faith was definitely not orthodox in our sense. It wasn't reformed, if you will. But Mark's concern is not so much how reformed you are, how accurate is your knowledge of the situation, the person's cloak that you touch, but how accurate is your response to the knowledge that you do have. What she knew was this. This was a man of God. She heard about him, Jesus of Nazareth, that he could heal the sick and the lame. And so she took what she heard and she acted on it. Now, if you do a careful biblical analysis of the Gospel of Mark, one of the standout things that Mark teaches everyone who reads this Gospel is this. What you hear, the truth that you hear, will you respond in faith? And that's the marker of the disciple for Mark. For Mark, it's the disciple of Jesus, one who hears God's word and responds to an obedience. Despite what you do, do or do not know in terms of its entire capacity. Now, that's not to say that you're not to know things or that theological truth is not something that you should pursue or that knowledge is something that is of value to the Christian or to the believer. But we spend so much time spending on just judging one another on what we lack in terms of our knowledge that we fail to comprehend where we lack the most in our obedience. That's Mark's concern. She knew what she heard, and she responded to it in obedience. What she knew was very little, but what she did was very much. It's very interesting that Mark teaches this this particular way. It's not to say works righteousness or this type of thing is, you know, what we're trying to convey here, that your works are what matters. It's not what we're saying. Her works are motivated by what? I just told you, her faith in Christ. Her faith in Christ. Mark is consistently teaching us to take what we hear about God 
God's word, if you will, and to respond respond to it by faith. Here's what stood out to me as I read this text. As much as she was so desperate to reach Jesus in hope of a cure, what is mirrored to her by Jesus is his own desperation, if you will, if you'll allow me to use that word, to seek her out in the crowd. As much as she so desperately wanted to touch the end of his cloak and his garment, he felt that power leave, and he so desperately sought her out in that crowd. Does that stand out to you? His exclamation in the midst of a time-sensitive moment in which a young child is dying is his desire to know who touched my cloak. Who touched it? For her sense, his divine power proceeding from him, his, 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 his sense of this happening from him, the sense of blood that dried up in her as she made contact with him was sensed on Jesus' end too as power being applied and, 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 and being proceeding from him. And as he's doing this, he is rebuked for this. Jesus is rebuked by his own disciples. Why do you look for someone amidst this huge crowd? It's probably, everyone's probably touching you. And I bet many people did. But only one touched in faith like this woman. And finally in fear of having caused him trouble, not only does she reveal herself to be the one who touched him, she is wholly honest in telling him everything about her, her condition, and what just occurred to her. You can imagine she went from being 12 years of bleeding, healed just like that, and you would think she would want to exclaim, wow, I've been healed. But rather, she comes to the feet of Christ in fear and trembling. And she wants to tell him the truth. Now consider again that her touch of Jesus and her condition would have made Jesus unclean, at least by the standards of the Jewish law, if the healing did not occur. She would be compromising Jesus' cleanliness, if you will. But she knew not what you and I know, that Jesus cannot be made unclean, for he came to clean the unclean by his own blood. The mark and irony of this story is that there were so many around Jesus who were so-called clean in the eyes of society compared to this woman. And his seeking of the one who touched him was in the midst of so many not in touch with him and who he was. What an irony. I like how James Edwards words this. He says, in the kingdom of God, miracle leads to meeting. The miracle of God's work in us leads us to meet Christ. And that meeting is what allows us to be cleansed of our sin. And the final thing I'll note is this. This is what broke me down this week. The woman's story began with her hopelessness her touch of faith leading to healing, her honest trembling leading to her meeting Christ face to face. And then this, after all of that, after all of that, 
Imagine being her, trembling in fear, knowing the incredible power of this person before her. Imagine hearing this word from him that day after 12 years of suffering in so much pain. And the first word out of his mouth is, daughter. That's the first word. He calls to her in relation to her as the divine God. To have walked away that day as this woman, as a daughter of God, known by him, how amazing that must have been. She came that day bleeding 12 years with no hope and walked away with a relationship with Christ. It's incredible. That's the interruption of the story. But there's a greater narrative at hand, isn't there? I don't say greater as in like it's a better story, but it's sandwiched between this other incredible story. And it leads us to our second point. Do not be afraid any longer, only believe. But alas, as one daughter is healed, another has succumbed to her fatal end. Jairus begins this whole episode with actions similar to the demoniac and the disciples before him. He comes to Jesus' feet in the very beginning of our passage and he implores him for help and mercy. Remember the demoniac coming to Jesus' feet and saying, what do you, the you know, Lord, Son of the Most High God, what do you have to do with us? And he's trembling. He's like, please have mercy on us, right? That's the demoniac. And here, Jairus almost echoes the same posture before Christ. It's peculiar. But like the woman, he too is desperate for the healing power of Jesus. He too knows that the touch of Christ had power. Jesus agrees to go with him, but because of this interruption of this bleeding woman, this daughter of Jairus was not reached in time. We can't be certain, of course, that if Jesus ignored the woman and pressed on, that he would have reached her in time. That seems to be the general suggestion of the text. But note this, that there is no sense of urgency or haste on Jesus' end. What began with faith from Jairus ultimately ends in verses 35 to 40 with a sense of hopelessness or hope lost. Where there's hope gained in the woman, there's hope lost in Jairus. Some ask why the teacher should be troubled anymore, for she's already dead. For what could he do with a deceased girl? Jesus' assessment is that the girl is simply asleep, and he is met with laughter. It reminds me of Sarai's laugh when God promised her a child in her old age, Abraham's wife. Many will laugh at the faith required by the people of God, have you been laughed at for your faith in Jesus? Especially in the most absurd circumstances and the most nonsensical things, people will laugh. But the people of God are people of faith in God. That faith does not depend on circumstance. That faith is a constant. It's not a faith in a certain outcome. It's faith in the providential work of God and the hope that exists in Him. And His efforts are for the good of those who love Him and ultimately for the glory of His name. That's the hope and the faith we have. There's really one thing we ought to draw from this final miraculous act of the divine. Sure, the resurrection of this girl is truly incredible. Easter Sunday preached on the resurrection of Lazarus. Surely, this is as incredible. This dead child raised again to life. Not something God would have us seek as the norm. But certainly a precursor to the reality of all those who have faith in him. 
death is not the end, that there is resurrection to come. The words that really sum up not just this narrative, but the bleeding woman's narrative as well, and the garrison demoniac, and the disciples on the boat in the storm, are these words by Jesus. Do not be afraid any longer, only believe. The challenge that is being presented to Jairus in this particular narrative is the challenge that faces every believer today. And it faces every believer every day. That is to have faith always. To always have faith. Not necessarily faith in a positive outcome, nor a faith that expects certain miracles, nor a faith that seeks the guarantee of divine intervention in all things in your life, but rather a constant and consistent faith that hopes in God despite those things. A hope in knowing that God is most certainly in control despite the perspective we may have on a particular situation. You could deem it hopeless. You could deem it helpless. You could deem it fruitless or inevitable. But you cannot guarantee that, can you? I was watching the Leafs game yesterday, and Leafs are cursed, by the way. One of the worst teams in hockey of all time. You know what they did yesterday? First of all, on Tuesday, they lost 7-3, and I was crying. And then um, they won 7-2, game two, game three. They're down 3-2, one minute left, they score. They have to pull the goalie to score, by the way. If you pull the goalie, you get an extra offensive player. They score, tie the game, they go to overtime, they score with 47 seconds left, and they win the game. Go, Leafs go, right? That's a miracle. That's <laughs> a miracle that they won that game. You could deem it hopeless. And certainly with a minute left in the game yesterday, I was like, here we go again. Certain doom and gloom for this entire city for another year. You could deem it that way, but you cannot guarantee that the result will be negative. Surely you cannot guarantee that the result will be positive. Your position as a believer of God as a follower of Jesus Christ, is not to determine and to calculate the outcome. I don't care what the stats tell you. Your position is to have faith in God, no matter the outcome. And that's hard. It's not easy. Because sometimes that outcome is death. Sometimes that outcome is extreme loss. And sometimes that outcome is incredible, exuberant joy and victory. If you only have faith when good things happen to you, I would say you lack faith. And if you don't have faith when everything goes bad, perhaps you don't have faith then either. Every day at work, I prepare a numerous amount of drinks. I work at a bubble tea shop. And from time to time, we get really picky customers. And they want their drink crafted exactly the way they want it. 10 ice cubes, extra this, little that, stirred in the cup, blah, blah, blah. I don't particularly enjoy such people. Anyways, they watch you like a hawk, and they tell you, remember, it's less ice. They keep watching and monitoring and telling you everything as you go. Now, what's happening in these moments is that the customer does not trust the person who's making the drink to make it to their liking. 
You have no faith in me. And being the brat of the company that I am, uh, I usually turn to them in a very in a snobbish way. I tell them, listen, bud, I make hundreds of these drinks every single day. Sure, I'm human, I make some mistakes, but I'm really good at what I do. You gotta trust what I do, man. But you gotta leave me alone. I don't go to your job, sit over your, you know, watch over you as you put in your accounting numbers and make sure every number you put in is correct, right? I trust that you're doing it right, right? You gotta trust that I can make your drink right. Sometimes I say it a nice way, sometimes I say it a mean way. When they say it nicely, they laugh. They say, just leave me alone, let me do what I do. And if it sucks, I'll remake it for you. Because I'm really good at this. <laughs> sometimes we watch the world turning around us and going and happening around us. And we think we know better than what God is in control of. And we just think, we just think to ourselves, why doesn't, you know, this should be this way, this should be that way, God should move this this way, God should be doing this this way, God should allow this, God should not allow this, God should do this, do that. Are you God? Pretty sure God's the one who's good at being God. If you were God, I would not worship you. He's really good at what he does. And the Bible is a record of it. You can trust in him. I know it's hard. In the most difficult situations, I know it's hard. Can't imagine being a Christian during the Holocaust. Can't imagine being a Christian right now in Ukraine. I know it's hard. But you gotta trust in him. You have to. And Jairus is being challenged right now. Yeah, before your eyes, your daughter is and looks dead. Can you imagine the Son of God standing before you saying, have faith, only believe? What an epic challenge that is being brought before him at this moment. Jairus could have looked at the corpse of his daughter and concluded, this Jesus was of no help. He can do nothing now. But Jesus' words to him were to believe. How hard that must have been. But nobody said it would be easy. Remember that his request to Jesus earlier was simply lay your hands on her that she would get well and live. Jesus can certainly still do that. The challenge of faith is many times a challenge of having faith despite what we think. Despite what's in our minds. No, not all dead children are going to be raised back to life. This is a powerful demonstration of the fact that there is always reason to have faith in God and trust in his works. And that reason is that God is God. He may not do what you want all the time, but I'm glad he doesn't. But he is doing what is best at all times. And that's the faith we have as believers. I began by telling you today the comparables and similarities in these sandwiched narratives between Jairus' daughter and the woman with the hemorrhage. But now allow me to show you the contrasting points. Jairus is a man named and with status, a man known by many and a man well regarded. He comes to Jesus, he speaks to him face to face. He seeks the benefit of Jesus' time and presence for the sake of his daughter. He has a directness with Jesus that a man of his stature could certainly exercise. The bleeding woman, however, 
is one unnamed, shamed by her condition and in hiding. She approaches Jesus in secret and in discretion. She seeks the same thing as Jairus, his divine power of healing, but she does so from behind Jesus, from the guise of the crowd. What is Mark's point in sandwiching these stories? When Jesus tells Jairus to have faith, he is pointing to the woman who was bleeding. Have faith like this woman. She is not you in any sense, societally or socially. But those who come to Jesus are of many different circumstances and backgrounds. But your status and condition on earth matter not in the kingdom of God. For those who seek Christ will find that all are equal before him. That faith is to be had in all people of faith, regardless of who you are. There's no special benefit that anyone has over another because of what the world thinks of you. Thus, our faith is to be equal in all of us. God's regenerative work or saving grace does not work especially well in some and worse in others. God works where God works to humble the proud and lift the weak. So from Jairus to this woman and everyone and anyone in between, we're all being asked to have faith in Christ, for he alone can save us from our sins. He alone accomplished this on the cross as he died and bled on our behalf. I imagine the woman that day, perhaps later after the crucifixion and resurrection, perhaps hearing about what had happened to Jesus of Nazareth, but would have heard of Christ's crucifixion, and perhaps coming to realize this, that the blood he shed for her, the image of that, how that would have impacted her in her life, that this man bled for her. Or Jairus' daughter, one day hearing of the resurrection of Christ and how that would have impacted her. To all who have ears to hear the gospel of Jesus, may you know and believe what is true, that Christ, God's Son, died for you. Let's pray and reflect on what God's word has taught us today.
Let's rise from our seats and respond in song to our Heavenly Father.
remain in us and that the word like this woman that we would respond to it in faith and obedience that we would live it out as the spirit leads and guides us thank you once again god we give you this offering we give it to you cheerfully we give it to you uh, in faith and we ask that lord it would be used for the greater good of your kingdom and your name renown and for the purpose of the ministry of this church um, that we're able to continue to grow and function as a community of Christ, and that these funds would be of uh, assistance in helping the church uh, accomplish those things. We thank you for the provision in our lives, all the things we have, um, and we just, we don't uh, seek the things of this world, but we rather uh, pursue being good stewards and faithful stewards of the things you do grant and give to us. We thank you and pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Okay, bear with me, brothers and sisters. Uh, quite a long list of announcements. So firstly, welcome to all of you. If it's your first time, welcome to Sheepgate. We hope to get to know you, and uh, hopefully you've enjoyed our uh, time of worship together, and uh, we'd love to have you join us for fellowship as well. Um, offerings can be sent uh, via e-transfer to sheepgatefellowship at gmail.com. If you'd like to give uh, uh, towards missions, you can just denote that in the notes section, or we have a basket and some envelopes in the back. And uh, you just have to write your legal name down so that we can uh, allocate tax receipts at the end of the year. And so please give that way if you're able. Um, so that'd be great. And uh, please join us for fellowship at our church in the other building. We have a wonderful meal prepared for all of you. So please join us for that. Um, there are no, there's no uh, confessions study in terms of like a study of a chapter today as we've completed the first eight chapters and we're preparing for our showdown next week, uh, so to speak. Um, but today, I'd like to just allocate some time to review, ask questions. I'll give some sample questions of the quiz, and we can just bounce ideas off each other. And in your groups, you can also take some time to review some of the material and maybe strategize and plan out what you'd like to do. So following lunch, we'll quickly go over that. By the way, if you don't want to participate, like you don't really have to. Like No one's like forcing you to participate. Uh, the only reason I do so or I recommend doing so is just for the camaraderie of the church and for the church to just kind of grow in our understanding. The purpose is not winning or losing, but rather just to review the material so we have a base understanding of it, because uh, it is quite important and will be important later on um, as we grow as a church and uh, we get membership and all these other things. Having a base understanding of confession of faith will be, uh, will be almost necessary um, in your continual particip participation of the church. So uh, I, hope, I hope it's fun too. Like I don't, I don't mean to make it like a daunting task on all of you, um, so do that. Uh, please uh, keep it civil and fun. Um, if you weren't here last week, the prize is the winning group gets like, um, the opportunity to just kind of spend an evening together or whatever day together and do something fun, and the church will pay for it. So if you want to do like, I don't know, whatever, um, as long as it's not like wild. Like I had a one group was like, can we go skydiving? I was like, no, I'm not doing skydiving. Okay, do that in your own time. But if you want to go to like a spa or like whatever, like we'll we'll, we'll cover that kind of stuff, right? Uh, so keep that in mind. Uh, prayer requests um, on the KM side. Uh, one of the uh, one of our I guess senior members there, she had a heart stroke a couple about a month ago, and then today she collapsed again. Uh, so she's in the ER. Uh, so if you could just lift up a prayer for her. if you know Billy, or her mom uh, is unfortunately quite not well. Uh, with their heart condition, so 
please lift up and keep her in prayer uh, for recovery. She's in the ER at the moment, and uh, the CAM, most of them are there, and uh, hopefully she will recover. It's not looking great, but uh, at least she's alive, so that's good. Um, next week, uh, we have a special guest, so Clay from Turkey will be here with his whole family, so his wife and four daughters, um, so a whole gang of LA Koreans are going to be here. Um, but yeah, they're going to be, uh, Clay will be sharing a sermon slash mission report on what's happening in Turkey. Um, so it's a great opportunity for you guys to just kind of hear and, and uh, engage with Clay as uh, he is the missionary that we connect with uh, when we do go there. Uh, if you've never met him, he's a really chill, funny guy. So it's great. And he looks like Sai. Like he looks exactly like Sai, like Gangnam Style Sai. So uh, he gets it a lot. Like I used to travel with him like uh, around like Turkey places and when he wears his Ray-Bans, like literally everyone thought he was Sai. So they would come up and ask for like autographs and he would just pretend to be Sai. It's like fantastic. Um, anyways, so that's that. So they're visiting next week. I do need some help. Um, so if you're free on like the Tuesday after next Sunday, we're going to Niagara. Um, if, you, if you can like tag along, we'd love to have you there or just, you know, spend some time with him and, and all that. That'd be fantastic. Um, so yeah, that'll be next week. Um, so he'll be sharing um, with us during service. So I won't be preaching next week, but Clay will be sharing with us. Um, we have a couple people leaving on some trips. I think, I don't know if Teresa's here, but Teresa's leaving for Korea. Uh, so keep her in prayers. I think she's like a month. Is it a month that she's gone? Yeah, that's, that's a long time. Um, and Hannah is leaving for Burnaby uh, to do travel nursing. Traveling nursing, travel nursing, whatever, that thing. Um, so yeah, if you have questions, just ask her. But please lift up a prayer for her as well, for her safety and uh, well-being. And we hope to have her back in time for the softball season so we can destroy other teams because uh, she's our starting third baseman. So it's very important that she's back in one piece. Uh, so please pray for Hannah. Uh, students, congratulations on uh, finishing your exams. I think most of you are done. If not... You know, keep studying. <laughs> uh, but those of you who are done, uh, congrats. And of course, Jess and Jet and Sasha have completed their bachelor degree, which is uh, congrats. Of course, pending results of their examinations, but we'll see. Um, but yeah, we'd love to celebrate that as soon as uh, those things get finalized. Of course, from the church's end, we'd love to gift you a graduation ring. So your ring size soon. Um, softball game today, what is it, like 7 p.m., Aaron? 7 p.m., New Hope. We'll crush those guys later. And then, um, so everyone's welcome to come and join for that. Um, until then, we'll hang out at church and kind of review some of the confession stuff and have conversations. Okay, big month. Ten birthdays in one month? It's crazy. Oh, my goodness. Okay, if I forgot your birthday last week, it's... Don't blame me, there's 10, 10, 10 birthdays. Okay, here we go. I actually wrote this down because I was like confused. I hope all of you are here, by the way. Um, for Tim, Timothy Min, got you a book. It's one of my favorite books. It's called The Death of Death in the Death of Christ. All right, I love death, so here you go. So this is, I'd say like, I know John Owen is known for his holiness book, but this is, this is incredible. This is an incredible book. So please enjoy. Happy birthday. 
I got Brian, also a Min. Uh, it's a book by John Blanchard called Write With God. It's one of the best books I read last year. Uh, I'd like to gift you this book. So Brian Min. There you go. Uh, by the way, the titles of these books don't, like, they're not suggesting things that I think of you. Um, just don't, don't take it personally. These are just good books that I'd like to recommend for everyone. So happy birthday. Uh, the second cutest person in our church after Brian is Rachel. And uh, I got her True Woman by Susan Hunt, one of the best books on womanhood that I've read. Here you go. Happy birthday. Rachel's been very excited to receive her book. Very eager. Esley has been on a tear with theology. So I got you R.C. Sproul's Everyone's Theologian. I think this is one of the easiest systematics to read, and I hope it'll help you, sir. So enjoy. Happy birthday. And finally, it's the hardest person to buy a book for. I hope you don't have this book, but if you do, this is probably a better version of it. It's Value of Vision for Unjung. Um, one of the best collections of prayers and devotions of the Puritans. Um, I thought this would be appropriate for you. So, By the way, this is leather bound. Yeah, it's a special edition. <laughs> Happy birthday. Okay. And finally, final announcement. I, uh, I'd like to request a prayer from all of you this week. When you have a chance, please lift a prayer for me. Um, on Friday, I'll be going to the PCA's uh, Presbytery meeting to go under care. Uh, under care basically is the first step to getting ordained. Um, and so we will now have a committee over our church particularly Sheepgate, uh, a group of uh, teaching and ruling elders who will oversee our church temporarily as uh, an overseeing committee. Uh, I've also requested uh, monthly attendance from one of those committee members to either preach and or just attend and just kind of check in on us. Um, and so that's going to hopefully begin this Friday. The reason I need prayer is I need to share my testimony, my calling, and then answer just a few questions like, you know, what's your relationship with God like? What's your daily devotions like? Simple things like that. Nothing like too heavy. Uh, and then they vote on it. So by Presbyterian law, I need 66% of the votes there. Uh, Kyle Hackman is a huge voice, so he's going to, like, advocate for us. By the way, he loved our church because the food was amazing. He thinks we have the best food in the GTA. Um, so uh, with that, um, yeah, that begins our first step, brothers and sisters, like, uh, Sheepgate's on its way now, uh, which means after I go under care, I can pursue ordination. Once I get licensed and ordained, I can do membership. Once I do membership, we can do deacons and elders. Once we do deacons and elders, we can apply for particularization. This is going to take many years. Like some people think it's going to be like next year. It's taking many, many years to do this, which means it gives you guys time to mature into being deacons and elders. Um, but um, yeah, just with all that said, please pray for us and please pray for me this Friday. I'll let you know Friday morning, 10 a.m., right before I go up, um, that I'm going up. And then if you could lift a prayer, it'd be fantastic. And then I'll let you know the results. I failed. Have a message ready for that. Or I passed. Have a message ready for that. <laughs> um, so that's this Friday, 10 a.m. So please pray for that. A lot of announcements, right? Let's rise. End off the Lord's Prayer. Let's pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you, everyone, for joining us today. Please join us for lunch as well. 
Uh, in the meantime, have some fellowship, greet each other, and we'll see you at the other building.